Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good morning. Okay. Uh, join me in a moment of prayer first because I feel like I'm either going to pass out or throw up because I'm so nervous. But um, so let's just say a prayer. Oh, good Lord, you are here amongst us. May your Holy Spirit come to us, that my words be your words, that what everybody hears today here is what you mean for them to hear. Amen. So my name is Christian Roldan Johnson. I've been coming to Urban Village for about two years. Um, and if you've noticed, every time I say that, I change the number of years between two or three, because I actually don't remember. And I'm really bad at remembering numbers. Um, even though I have a math degree. <laughs> I actually forgot my wedding anniversary. But then I got, I got to work and uh, I turned it around by, saying, by texting my husband and saying, you know what today is? And you forgot. <laughs> so, so if you notice that I say those years is because of that. Uh, I am a lay member of Urban Village. I'm not a clergy person. I was invited to preach and I'm just saying I'm not preaching. I am sharing a message with you all. As you know, the sermon series that we're on, it, on right now is getting information, getting formation, becoming a church without walls. And a little bit of what I want to talk to you about today is race and racism in the United States. Easy topics. <laughs> so I have this love-hate relationship with Paul. I mean, come on, really? I imagine that Jesus comes like right after ascension. He comes back, Paul is writing, and Jesus, go, and Jesus goes, Bad Paul, bad Paul. That's not what I meant for you to write. That's, that's, that's what I imagine, because, I mean, come on. His statements on faith and work, his statements that can be interpreted as saying that women should be quiet in church and not have any leadership. When he encourages people to get married uh, if they want to have sex, right? Because he says, like, if you cannot hold yourself, then get married. Um, that's, there you go, that's a reason to get married. Good Lord, why did you let Paul talk? <laughs> I have to admit, he does have some really good lines. I mean, he tells us to love one another, and if anything, or if nothing, he has probably the most quoted words in every wedding. If I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own and if I hand my body over so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love, if love is patient, love is kind, beautiful, right? And at the same time, slaves, don't talk back to your masters. So Paul is just full of contradictions. The guy had some issues, but we all do, right? I mean, I really still wish Paul would have written some commentaries to his words. Like, this is what I really meant here. But what do we do with these contradictions? Do we ignore Paul? Do we ignore the parts we don't like and take the parts we do? 
Do we just plainly ignore it all? And I have an answer for that, and I have, or at least I think I do, and I'm going to share it with you in a moment. But Paul is not the only one that contradicts himself. Let me read you something that while it comes from two different documents, it really speaks to our foundational and fundamental identity as a nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, un, yeah, rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then in the Declaration of, of the, in the in the Constitution, we go on to say, well, no person held to service or labor in one state under the laws of that state escaping into another shall, in consequence of those laws or regulations, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered upon on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. That's the infamous fugitive slave clause. So if a slave ran away into a state where, slave, where slavery was illegal, they, couldn't, they would not become free. They had to be taken back to their owner. So all men are created equal, but return the slave. What do we do with that? Do we ignore the Constitution? Do we just take the parts we like and ignore the parts we don't? We are a nation born in racism and contradiction. We came to this country for freedom, but we were very quick at denying that freedom to others. And that is the issue, the other, the otherness. Human beings, be it by nature or socialization, enjoy hanging out with the people that look like them. But in order to determine who looks like me, I have to create categories and put those peoples, those, the people in those categories. Whether we think men are better leaders than women or that people without an accent are smarter, or smarter than people with an accent, we're creating categories to, cre to understand our world, to understand our whole existence. So that's what happened. A, bon a long time ago, a bunch of middle-aged white men decided that they needed an excuse for their imperial tendencies. They decided that race was a category that made the other less smart or incapable of self-governance. Race, as we know it, was created in the, in the 1600s during the height of European imperialism. And so the founding fathers come with those ideas to the United States. Let me quote something Thomas Jefferson says about African slaves. They seem to require less sleep. A black, after hard labor through the day, will be induced by the slightest amusements to sit up until midnight or later. They are more ardent after their female, but love seems with them to be more eager desire than a tender, delicate mixture of sentiment and sensation. Their griefs are transient. In general, their existence appears to participate more of sensation than reflection. All men are created equal, but they don't really reflect. We are, in our essence, a nation of contradictions. Plain and clear, he says it right there. These people cannot take care of themselves. And so it started and so it continues, the pattern of racism in the United States. We push away the First Nations and Native Americans and we take our lands and profit from them. We put all Japanese Americans in a concentration camp, take their property and benefit from them. We take over Hawaii and then deny their people self-determination. 
We segregate our neighborhoods and our schools, and then we punish black people for living in poor schools and poor neighborhoods that we created and have perpetuated. We colonize islands all over the Caribbean, wink, wink. We experiment with their people. We use their resources. We place them under military government. And then we, de we get to decide when they are American enough to govern themselves. We continue to think that we are better than anybody else. And when I say we, I mean people in the United States. People that have assimilated and become white. And here I'm not saying that white equals bad. That's not what I'm saying. My best friend is white. That was supposed to be a joke. My husband's white. Uh, <laughs> This is not about Perry. Sorry, I had to choose like a person. It was, it was Ellen, but she's gone. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying Perry is racist. I'm saying there is a structural racism that we haven't done anything to get rid of. What I'm saying is that we have to own our history, that we have to admit that what our ancestors did Actually, what your ancestors did. Mine were doing terrible things in other places. <laughs> so we have this racism that is part of our history and beginning of this country, something we cannot deny or we cannot hide. And there are two common arguments against this idea of racism. The idea that the country is not racist is just that certain groups have not assimilated. right? I mean, after all, the Italians, the Germans, and the Irish all became white. I mean, they all assimilated, <laughs> right? It's just that other groups have not been able to. But the problem with that is that we have equated American culture with white Anglo-Protestant. And anybody that does not fit those categories can never assimilate. So if I have an accent, I can never assimilate. I'm not allowed to. If I have a different color of my skin, I can never assimilate because I'm not allowed to. So if you dress with baggy pants and a hoodie, of course you look like a criminal, because good Americans don't dress like that. We're not allowed to. The second one that comes up, um, and this is from very well-intentioned people many times, is this idea. Well, race is a construct, right? There's no biological differences. It, race is a, it's a construct, it's a, it's a social construct. We invaded, invented this idea of race. Well, since we invented it, Let's get rid of it and just ignore it. Let's say, oh, stop talking about race. No more race. We're now going to discriminate based on height. Right? But the problem is that race and racism are so ingrained that it has created terrible, horrible consequences. And if we ignore race, we're ignoring the consequences that that category has created. There are many ways in which we can see how the policies and institutions of the 1700s and the racist history of the United States continues to harm people of color. I mean, think about the killing of black bodies, the segregation of schools, the segregation of neighborhoods. I'm going to give you sort of two examples of that. One will be rather quick, and it really, I'm mentioning it because it came out on my Facebook feed this morning as during my history, you know, like you're my memories. I apparently posted this about two years ago. And it talks about how neighborhood segregation continues up to this day. How developers 
continue to feed the segrega segregation, where neighborhoods cost more or bring more money when they're less minorities. And so they keep bringing less minorities in order to make more money. But let's look at how property has kept people of color in poverty and has given mobility to white people. So laws ruled segregation. Law said, you are a person of color. You cannot buy property here or here or here. So white neighborhoods became affluent. Their property values went up. They got to sell their little houses, make a ton of money, move to the suburbs where everything's cheaper, buy a bigger house, have a ton of money, give it to their children. The children go to college debt-free. The children have a good education. They get to have more children that have more money. And that pile just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So they build wealth. People of color have to stay in poor neighborhoods because they're not allowed to buy in other neighborhoods. Their property values never go up. They're not able to sell and create wealth for future generations. And yet we blame them. And yet we blame poor people for staying poor. But we created the system. Our nation created that system. The second one. So um, let me give you a little background on me. So what I'm going to say makes sense. Um, I have a graduate degree in mathematics. And as we speak, I'm finishing my dissertation in a PhD in higher education this year. Um, my main areas of research are minority groups, under, underrepresented, underserved group, minoritized, and queer theory or LGBTQ people. I study gaps, gaps that exist amongst different groups. So my area of expertise is higher education and math. Um, I taught for 12 years. I can't count to save my life, but, but I can prove a theorem. I've taught from what we call developmental math, so basic algebra, all the way to calculus, linear algebra, and other math that if I mentioned them, you wouldn't recognize them. So I want to show you how racism is built into this system. I am an associate dean in my college. I am the highest level Latino in my whole college. Although over 40% of our student population is minority. Although over 25% are Latino Latina students. Over me, there's only one African American dean, and then it's not even an academic dean. There are no VPs of color. Okay? So there are no administrators, high level administrators, that look like the communities and the students. And they're the ones making the decision. But why aren't there enough of them? Because there are not, not enough faculty and staff that are people of color. At my first college, I was one of only two Latino professors in the whole college. The whole college, where I had over 20% Latino population. But we don't have enough of those because we don't have mentors. But we don't have enough faculty and staff because we don't have enough people of color graduating with graduate degrees. But we don't have enough people of color graduating with graduate degrees because we have a huge gap, almost 14 percent points, in college completion between white students and students of color. And we have that problem because we don't have equal opportunity in our schools. And we have that problem because of poverty that was created by racist laws. Do you see that? It is shameful. It is sinful. 
so why aren't we graduating at higher rates? Well, it's just part of that cycle of poverty. Let me give you an example. One of the things I do as part of my job, um, I have to evaluate faculty. And some of our faculty are what we call dual credit teachers. They teach at the high schools. So I have to go into the high school, a whole experience on its own, and observe the students. And observe the instructors. I go into one high school, that poverty level, very high poverty level in the school. We have an average student in that school. That school does not have, has, does not have as many resources. The student gets C's. High poverty school, the student gets C's. When the student gets home, there's nobody to help. There are no resources in the school. The parents are probably on their second or third job in order to bring food. Their parents, there are higher chances that they don't even have a high school or a bachelor's degree or a high school diploma. Take the other student who goes to a very wealthy neighborhood and a wealthy school. That student has C's. The school has all of these after-school resources. The school has extra counselors. The student goes home. Their parents are home. They can cook and sit down and study with them because they don't need three or four more jobs in order to bring food. And yet, we expect both of those students to go to college and graduate at the same level. How insane is that? That is just unfair. And then we say, oh, the poor student just needs to work harder. Oprah did it. Because that's the story, right? Is the Oprah myth. Because one person did it, everybody can. Well, that is BS. And it's incredibly racist and unfair. We are a nation of contradiction. We are faced with tons of them. We call ourselves a nation of freedom and equality. We call ourselves Christian, but we don't live as such. We're like Paul. We want to continue the status quo because we're afraid of losing our privilege. Tell the slaves to submit to their own masters and please them in everything they do. Just be complacent, be good. We say that we're in race, we are not racist, but we keep hiding behind the idea of merit to perpetuate racism. This is unfair and ridiculous. How can we call ourselves a nation of opportunity and deny opportunity to so many? Why are we so afraid of the other? What about our own church? How do we live our anti-racism? How do we make it part of our everyday vocabulary? We state that we're inclusive. And it has come part of our language to be inclusive of LGBTQ issues. And usually when we say inclusive, the first thing that comes to your mind is LGBTQ acceptance. We go to the Pride Parade. We wear t-shirts. Daniel's in the back if you want to order one. <laughs> we talk about our inclusive native midsummer. We need volunteers. <laughs> but how many times have we had a presence at the Bob Billiken Parade or the Puerto Rican Parade? Just to give two examples. When will inclusiveness be inclusive? We're, we are very obvious about our inclusiveness of LGBTQ people, and as a gay man, thank you. But I ask you, why do we not do the same thing for people of color, for non-native speakers, for immigrants? So what do we do? For people of color, do we just get mad and dwell in our frustration, thinking that nothing can be done or ever change? For allies, do you just feel guilty? For all of us, do we just give up? No, 
We do not. We continue to fight at different levels. We go and fight, well, not, don't fight with the policymakers, but we argue with the policymakers, and we get them to change policy, and we demonstrate in our streets. We call for more funding and also for better opportunities. We call for a higher living wage. We call for a right to vacation and sick leave for all. We continue the struggle and the fight even when it feels like it's going nowhere. We are a people of contradiction. We are not perfect, but we can do it. And let me tell you finally how we're going to do it. With the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. He gave himself for us in order to rescue us from every kind of lawless behavior. He came to make us a people that will call out injustice. We have the grace of God working in our lives. We become educated and educated. We stand up for injustice. And we celebrate the triumphs. There's a story in critical race theory, um, and it goes this way. A black woman is always fighting for equality, and at the, at the end of her lifetime, there's, there's really nothing has changed. And this man asked her, aren't you frustrated? Don't you get tired of it? And she responded, no, because it's not about reaching the end. It's about taking one more step. Because each step I take, I'm further from the beginning. My friends, we can win this. We can win equity and equality. We must not give up. We have the grace of God. Thank you.